Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to do a quick minisode on this Moses returning to Egypt scenario in which Yahweh, God, meets Moses in an attempt to kill him. Something like that's going on here. So we'll go ahead and read this. This is after God has appeared to Moses in the burning bush and uh, commissioned him. They go through all these back and forth arguments, what he needs to do, why he needs to do it, why it needs to be him, making compromises, going with his brother. They're sitting into this all up. And then what happens? They start moving towards Egypt and God meets him in a way to kill him. Let's just read it from the ESV. At a lodging place on the way, on the way to Egypt, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it, and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of circumcision. Maybe not the best translation. I do have a better one we will go over little bit later, but what's happening here? God is setting out to kill his spokesman. And uh, when this verse was brought up on uh, Facebook, some of the comments are like, oh, God's not actually going to go kill him because he had just commissioned him and uh, put him on this path to be a spokesman. And he had all these plans to liberate uh, all of Israel through him. So it wasn't actually, he wasn't actually trying to kill him. That's the opposite of what the text says. The the text says that God met him and sought to put him to death. So what is going on here? This is a weird, weird passage. So let's turn to Word Biblical Commentary, my favorite commentary series on the Bible, and read how they translate this. And it happened en route at the lodging place that Yahweh encountered him and sought to put him to death. Now, I'm envisioning in my head kind of like an encounter maybe in the garden, an encounter maybe like in Genesis 22, maybe an encounter such as Gideon meeting Yahweh. So some probably some sort of embodiment of Yahweh is meeting him and attempting to kill him. It says, encountered him and sought to put him to death. So Zipporah seized a flint knife and cut off the foreskin of her son and touched his genitals. You remember in uh, the ESV it says uh, feet? Well, you know, it's a euphemism. He touched his genitals saying, as she did so, for a bridegroom of blood you are to me. Thus did he sink back from him. At that point she said, a bridegroom of blood with reference to the circumcision. Now this is... An interesting and better translation to kind of get us in the mindset of what's probably going on here. But let's talk it through some possibilities. The author writes, These verses are among the most difficult in the book of Exodus, not in terms of their translation, which is quite straightforward, but in terms of their meaning and their location in this particular context. From ancient to modern times, a wide range of interpretations, both, both fanciful and plausible, has emerged. Some of these have involved the alteration of the text without justification to support a given interpretation. Others have imposed wildly improbable theories designed to explain the difficulties of the passage. Most of them have been aided and abetted by the ambiguity of the subject and the object in the section. Remember when we're reading through this, there's a lot of 
he's and him's, and it's not quite clear what those pronouns are pointing to. Moses can only be assumed to be the one of the actors since he is never mentioned by name, and the antecedents of the subject and object pronouns are far from clear. The interpreter is further blocked by the problem of the meaning and application of the obscure phrase bridegroom of blood, which appears both in verse 25 and 26. So keep that in mind, that this is like a, a little snippet of a story, and uh, we don't get an introduction to the story, and so none of these actors are really named, and so these pronouns could really be pointing anywhere. So we're, we're, we're making some assumptions who they're pointing to. He goes on, thus Moses is said to have no part at all in this narrative, and he cites sources, of course, or at most only part of a passive and helpless witness. Zephorah is said to have moved to avert, one, a fatal attack on Moses by a demon, later displaced by Yahweh, demanding the right of first intercourse with the virgin wife on the wedding night, or two, an attack upon Gersom because he had not been circumcised, three, even an attack upon Moses for the same reason. Now, this is what I had like previously thought it was, that Moses' son had not been circumcised uh, according to the eighth-day circumcision tradition, and therefore Moses was in God's displeasure, and God was moving against Moses because he failed to perform the circumcision rites on his children in accordance with the covenant. But... Better, a better way to interpret this is how the word biblical commentary, with their, their translation particularly, kind of gives us a few more clues about what's going on here. He says, It is hardly reasonable to claim that anyone except Moses is the object of Yahweh's encountering action. Moses is the center of Yahweh's concern everywhere else in this section, even in the intrusive verses involving Aaron. The sudden emergence of a forefront of Moses' son would make no sense whatsoever in such a sequence. The reason for this attack, as the redactor's explanatory note in verse 26b makes clear, is that Moses has not been previously circumcised. So Moses was raised by uh, the house of Pharaoh, Egyptian, uh, uncircumcised, according to the laws of, of uh, Abraham, the, the covenant of Abraham. And so he's performing this mission, and this is me talking now, he's performing this mission on behalf of Yahweh, and he hasn't performed very basic signs ritualistically for affiliation with Yahweh. And so this seems to be the reason, the motivation that God is confronting him, because Moses himself has not been circumcised, and Moses is meant to be God's messenger. He's, he's failing the covenant himself. But his wife, in this narrative, instead of being uh, how a lot of people picture her as angry and vindictive, why do I have to circumcise my son? No, her dad was a priest of Yahweh. She's very familiar with circumcision rites, and so she performs a saving maneuver in this account. So let's read. Sasson has pointed out convincingly that Egyptian circumcision was not only performed on adults, but was, by comparison with the Hebrew circumcision, merely a partial circumcision. Indeed, he contends that circumcision may well have come from Egypt to North Syria, where it was practiced early in the 3rd millennium BC. For whatever reason, the compiler who set verses 24 through 26 in their present context had apparently reached a conclusion confirmed by these facts. Perhaps he combined with the abnormal circumstances by which the infant Moses had to be hidden away at birth with the same knowledge of the Egyptian practice and even a belief 
that the circumcision of the infant boys was a late development in Israel's life. Quite possibly, too, he was searching for some reason for Yahweh's serious encounter. Whatever the case, he clearly believed that Moses was uncircumcised and Yahweh determined to stop him en route to Egypt for that reason. Zephora, the only person available to perform this rite, seizes the mandatory flint cutting tool and circumcises not Moses, who would have been temporarily incapacitated by the surgery at a crucial time when he can no longer delay his journey, but her son. For the child, who was not to make the journey to Egypt in any case, the effects of the circumcision would be less problematic. To transfer the effect of the rite, Zephora touched the severed foreskin of her son to the genitals of Moses, intoning as she did so ancient formula, recalling circumcision as a premarital rite. For a bridegroom of blood you are to me. This ancient phrase, as Michael has demonstrated, is a phrase of marital relationship and was already old enough at the time of the compilation of this sequence to require a specific comment by the redactor that the context of reference for the phrase was circumcision. The final establishment of circumcision as a crucial point of these verses is, of course, that Zephora's action worked, and Yahweh thus fell back, or backed off from Moses. Let's skip forward. The language may compare to the language of the account of testing Abraham's faith or the struggle of Jacob at Jabuk. Zephora's reaction to the crisis is a vicarious circumcision of Moses to prevent his being painfully crippled at the beginning of the most important undertaking of his life. And what Zephora says is the ritual statement which accompanied by premarital circumcision as a declaration of a young man's in-laws that he was of age appropriate for marriage. The bridegroom of blood of circumcision was being prepared to become the bridegroom of a bride. Perhaps there was a similar ritual statement in the wedding ceremony. To the redactor, who included this narrative in Exodus 4, this ritual phrase was already arcane enough to require explanation he appended at verse 26b. So this creates an entirely different narrative. This is a narrative in which God is prioritizing his covenant relationship or covenant uh, symbols or covenant rituals over Moses being a specific uh, messenger or a specific avatar of God's will or a specific representative of God's mission. And so God cares more for this ritual act. And interestingly enough, it could be vicariously, his son could be circumcised in place of him as a placeholder for his circumcision until such time. Now, did Moses ever get circumcised? Uh, we don't know. But it seems to have worked. God seemed to accept that vicarious circumcision as, as part of the ritual covenant with Yahweh. What we should also keep in mind is that we shouldn't be bringing in outside assumptions into the text. Assumptions like God would never kill Moses because he needed him for some specific mission. If our minds are working like that, it's working against the text. A lot of times you'll see God make what we call rash decisions in the moment. People don't like God having those types of emotions or thought processes or making those types of decisions. And so they have to retcon the text into their specific narrative of who they see God as. But it's just not in the text, though. So either we accept the text for what it says or we reject the text, rewriting it in, in this uh, this way where we're just bringing in our predefined assumptions, probably not very good. It's not, it's not uh, honest to the text. 
And what does that do to God's character? It, it changes it a little bit if you're making justifications for his actions that aren't in the text and then rewriting to the opposite of what the text says. We're rewriting a very important piece of God's relationship with Israel, which is this ritualistic covenant where certain rites have to be performed in certain manners at certain times, and it's, it's very much binding. And we see ritual rites throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. There's a whole book called Leviticus that talks about ritual rites. These are not just these are not just throwaway lines. These are not things that we could just discard as worthless. And God really cared about them at that time in those circumstances and enforced those. Recall, there is a man who was killed just for touching the Ark of the Covenant, even though he thought he was saving it from falling. These things are important. It's important in the religious tradition of the Bible. Anyways, comments or questions, put that below or start a thread on the Facebook God is Open page. Thank you for listening.